Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Songwriter Connection Podcast, where we look at the craft of songwriting through the eyes of the songwriter. Each week, we make a connection with a music maker, listen to their songs, and hear their stories. From Nashville, Tennessee, here's your host, Dave Lenahan. Well, you know, according to the 1966 Love and Spoonful song, there are 1,352 guitar pickers in Nashville. Oh, there's more. There's yeah. more. That, uh, was, that was then. There's more than that. <laughs> that was then. I thought it was a six-figure number <laughs> at that point. It's, it's, it's got to be. Would you, would you say, what, 1,352,000? Something, Something like, like that. that. But yeah. what qualifies a guitar picker? And you can see my air quotes. Absolutely. Right? Which is absolutely. part of what we're going to talk about. <laughs> it is what we're going to talk about today. We're kind of going to do a, a little bit of a guitar playing and, you know, uh, melodic uh, workshop for songwriters today and the guru is back Dave uh, Dave Isaacs it's uh, good to have you Dave and uh, before we introduce you and tell you more about Dave I want to tell you uh, we publish every Wednesday this is episode number 116 thanks for joining us and as we inch ever closer to that 400,000 streams downloads uh, subscriptions um, and we thank you for that by the way there is some big news for this podcast the songwriter connection on the horizon so uh, watch um, you know, it's, you can find us on the socials. You can either follow me directly, Dave Lenahan on uh, Facebook. It's L-E-N-A-H-A-N. But there is a Songwriter Connection podcast uh, Facebook page and Instagram and Twitter. So if you'd like, get on those. Keep watching it. We're also on YouTube. Uh, like and subscribe, if you will. And we certainly appreciate it. Love to have you say hello. Uh, and let us know where you're listening from. So, And we're all over the world. So, Well, uh, of all those... Uh, Thirteen million fifty-two guitar pickers in Nashville. One thing they have in common is they've probably been tutored, mentored, or, or, or taught uh, by our guest today. He is known as the guitar guru of Music Row. Dave Isaacs is back. Uh, he joined us in season two, episode nine. If you want to go back and listen to that one, uh, you'll find it very helpful. Dave, welcome back. Good to see you, man. Thanks for having me. Good to be seen. Yeah, man. You have got this great book called The per- Perpetual Beginner, which I've read and uh, recommend to everybody. Uh, that came out just a couple of years ago. Yes. Uh, so author, uh, guitar player, teacher. I love playing in the rounds with you because there isn't a round you can't make better. Throwing in a little lead. <laughs> He's an amazing performer, too. So Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's nice to have you back. And as far as teaching, you have a little different method, don't you? Some people say that. Yeah, I guess the more, as time goes on, the more I've gotten clear on what is different. Mm-hmm. But I think that's that's been good. That has served me well up to this point. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the, the concept of a p- perpetual beginner. Well, there's a couple of aspects to it. One is that in working with people, and I work primarily with adult students, mm-hmm. and most of those have years of experience or let's say years-long relationships with a guitar without really ever feeling like they learn how to play it. People mm-hmm. like to joke, oh, I'm a guitar owner. Yeah, you know? yeah, they do. I hear that a lot. Yeah. And... Um, People were coming in saying the same things Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. And so perpetual beginner is kind of a category of people who have played for a period of time, but you still have more history and enthusiasm than you do skill. Mm. And so I started looking at, well, what actually is going on here? Why are so many people running into these same problems or getting stuck in the same places? And what can we do to get past those? And so the other side of perpetual beginner is maintaining something of a beginner's mindset in the sense that when you don't know anything, you tend to be more enthusiastic and you tend to be more open. All about that passion, right? Yeah. Well, and it's also a little knowledge is dangerous, (laughs) right? Because you can say, oh, well, I was told this. And then you just lock yourself into a box trying to adhere to these instructions you were given that aren't serving you. Or a lot of people, honestly, they just misunderstand things they're told or take bad advice to heart. And there's just, there's always an obstacle. Yeah. So my thing has been to 
try to help somebody find what the obstacles are, and mostly because that's what I do myself. I mean, I'm still excited about playing the guitar. Still learn something every day? Absolutely, yeah. because mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to do everything I want to do. I, I can't even do the things I know how to do as well as I want to consistently. Wow. wow. Mm-hmm. Well, because the better, I mean, and, and I think anybody who has achieved a level of skill and success in any area can relate to this. Once you know a territory well, yeah. you have an idea of what a job well done looks like, and you can observe that task being performed and notice things that the average person without your experience wouldn't. Yeah. Right? So mm-hmm. the more I know about music, the more I pick up when I listen to music. And I have, it's almost to the detriment of taking in new music because I'm having so much fun revisiting things that I grew up listening to. And either I just never took the time to delve into it or I wasn't sophisticated enough to fully understand it. I went down a Steely Dan rabbit hole during Uh the pandemic, which was so much fun because it was like, wow, I actually get what's going on here now. Oh, it's so it's they they were very complex. Yeah. Carlton and all those. Sat down and worked up solo arrangements of a bunch of songs and I went down a Pink Floyd rabbit hole a couple of weeks ago <laughs> and sat down and started learning all these melody parts I'd never learned before and it's there's always something else yeah and I find that exciting yeah yeah I, I read somewhere you said uh, a lot of teachers teach songs I I, I go beyond that I yes. teach uh, the method well because my feeling is if you have learned 10 songs then hopefully by the 10th one there's been a cumulative process going on mm-hmm. so so that every song you learn is pointing you towards like giving you a piece of information that's going to show up in another song. Sure. So after a while, and we know this as songwriters, that there are patterns that occur in music. Mm-hmm. And yes, that those patterns, part of the learning how to work with writing music is to understand structure and stylistic norms. And then you start to learn about more variables and how the real creative writers are taking the same raw materials, the same variables, but they're finding more interesting ways to put them together, but at the same time, in a way that's still understandable and doesn't sound like it comes from another planet, which is sometimes exciting, but if you are just trying to reach people... I heard Jason Bloom, a great songwriting songwriting teacher, very uh, renowned, Mm -hmm. talk about how, in, in terms of song structure, he said that the structure of a song is the package you are delivering your message in and why do you want to make that package hard to open? Oh, yeah. And I thought that was a great way of looking at it. a great way to look at it. Now, at the same time, you know, I am... If you were to ask me if I were a musician or a songwriter first, if you pinned me to the wall and made me choose, Mm -hmm. I would have to say musician because that's the thing that comes naturally. I find songwriting very, very difficult. I find it intimidating. I find really? co-writing to be a very humbling experience. It can be. Yeah. Well, because, I mean, I can walk into a room with a fair degree of confidence that I have a bigger musical vocabulary um, than the average person who's sitting down in a songwriting session. Mm-hmm. This is Nashville, so it's not like you can know that for sure, but it, 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 it's common. Doesn't mean that I have anything useful to bring to the table in that moment unless we have fallen into something, mm. you know? Yeah. So I've walked out of writing sessions achieving nothing and feeling like, why do I even do this? You know, like, doesn't matter how skilled you are over here. Mm-hmm. So this is how coming to Nashville was also humbling because people would say, oh, you're a guitar player moving to Nashville, good luck. And I said, well, you know what? 1,352. <laughs> I, I am going with the confidence that basically anytime I've put myself in a new situation, I've found a place for myself. So that's what go. I'm what yeah. I'm proceeding yeah. with here. Yeah. And did you it, came from yeah. where again? Long Island, New Long York. Long Island. Long okay. Island. Very good. Okay. Yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Long Island is interesting. It's just uh, one thing I learned, and mind you, okay, I'm just saying this for for the audience out there, everyone who goes, ah, New York and Long Island, first of all, learn how to drive. And it's it's a whole separate. And learn how to say it right, right? Long Island. I don't say it that way. You don't say it that way. I don't say it that way. (laughs) But to be fair, we moved there when I was 11. My speech patterns were probably formed more Maryland, D.C. So it's in Maryland. (laughs) But, um, you you know, you... uh, I have to say, 
Long Island is an interesting place because it is as crowded mm-hmm. and as populated as any city anywhere, but at the same time, it's full of people that have never gone anyplace else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, it's it's a much more provincially minded place than I think I realized until I'm living in the middle of the country and mm-hmm. meeting people from all over. All over now, yeah. to be mm-hmm. fair, you know, Long Island is next to New York City. Uh, I went to City University in New York. The cafeteria was like the UN. There are people from everywhere, and that was yeah. that was cool. That was exciting. That yeah. was interesting. But I and, just and now did you study music there? I did. Yeah, you did. Okay, the Aaron Copeland School of Music. Aaron Copeland. Uh, well, the most famous alum of Queens College, where I did my bachelor's degree, is Paul Simon, who of course didn't finish because he didn't. Huh? No, it generally works yeah. that way. Tom and Jerry got big, and then Simon yeah. and Garfunkel. Oh, I was thinking Berkeley's biggest. Well, <laughs> Berkeley's biggest alum is probably John Mayer, and he didn't finish either. Wow! So that's the whole thing. You can claim him. Did you, you know. finish? I did. Well, there you go. Took my time. <laughs> Took there me six go. years to finish a bachelor's degree, but that's with all right. respect to my friends back in Long Island, and you know, there all kinds of a lot of great musicians came from there. But it it was just interesting to realize, like you know, this really is actually an island. Yeah. You know, (laughs) which has its own, like, you don't pass through there. (laughs) Whereas Nashville is a place people are coming from all over. All over. And so I didn't know people from Idaho and New Mexico and Northern California and Georgia and, you know, all over the country. Right. And, you know, not to mention the people you meet from the UK and from Australia and other countries. And so, you know, that's obviously, I also, I mean, I went to college in New York City. My masters at Manhattan School of Music as well. So that was another very, you know, people from from everywhere, but that's different. Yeah. You know, that's this rarefied little world yeah. that is not connected to things the way songwriting in Nashville, you know, is so much just plugged into how do regular people think? Yeah. You know, how do I find a way to say this that is understandable to anyone? And maybe and, from a different yeah. point of view that they've never seen before, yeah, yeah, or heard before. So. Well, it's and that that gets back to the humbling thing, right? Mm-hmm. Because and, and even to the perpetual beginner thing, because it's recognizing it doesn't matter how sophisticated, um, how extensive my knowledge is. If I can't communicate to you in a way you understand, then this knowledge isn't doing me any good, or at least it's not doing you any good. If I'm trying to teach you something. And that's not just, you're not just talking about lyric, lyrically, you're all, you're talking about melodically too. Not just melodically, chordally, rhythmically. Okay, there you go. I mean, and I'll just take that opportunity to to seize onto this. Yes. Uh I think if. Break it down. If you were to ask me what is the most important aspect of music to a songwriter, I would say rhythm. Rhythm. And that's because... It's interesting you say that, because mm-hmm. I always said if I was going to build a band from scratch, I would start with the rhythm section. I'd, I'd want a drummer and a bass player oh, yeah. that grew up together and that could read each other's minds mm-hmm. and just bring that groove to life. There is no great band without a great rhythm section. Agreed. It, it just It doesn't happen. You can have the best guitar player in the world if yep. the rhythm section isn't supporting it. And meanwhile, if you have a great rhythm section, the guitar can be as fundamental, as simple as possible. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even have to be there. So you're saying groove is the most important. I am saying groove in the sense that there is no aspect of music that isn't rhythmic. I got you. Right? So that includes lyrics. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? Well, I mean, you know, I think we learned that lesson in rap music today, Well, too. yeah. We listen to rap music today. It's... Okay, but I'll take it back further than that. I challenge you to print out, just read a Chuck Berry lyric. <laughs> well, there you go. And not feel that groove. Yeah. And I'll go out on a limb and say, even if you had never heard Johnny Be Good, yeah. you read deep down in Louisiana, close to New Orleans, way right back up in the woods by the evergreens, in a log cabin made of earth and wood, live a country boy named Johnny Be Good. Tell me you don't feel the swing you, of that. You do. And you can almost hear the melody in It's that. not going to come out sounding like Run DMC. No. <laughs> Speaking of Queens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the idea is that, you know, even... Even poetry, which is words supposedly without music, mm-hmm. has rhythm. Yeah. Right? And even if it's not following a steady pulse rhythm. And so when you are figuring out how to write a song, it's not just the meaning of what you're saying that you're thinking about. You are thinking about the way the words come out in terms of the accent patterns. Where are the consonants? Where are the vowels? What makes this... So what is it that makes one phrase more satisfying to sing 
yeah, than another. That's a, that's you know, and you think about even a song like Somewhere Over the Rainbow mm-hmm. and the way that that somewhere and the way that between the octave jump, the yes. big rise in the melody and just the uh, the way the vowel opens and like you see the sunrise. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And if you just take even the lyric of Somewhere Over the Rainbow, the melody becomes i think implied it's not i'm not saying like you know what the notes are going to be but more in terms of the feeling of the musical gesture mm. right so this is where and the more i think about this stuff i i think my next book and now i'm saying this officially <laughs> my next book which means you know worst way to not finish a book is tell people you're writing one yeah that's true but I do think I have a book in me, or at least more exploring I want to do, on the relationship of rhythm and physical sensation. That's a good right? That'd be a good one. Yeah. Because it's the whole reason why we can talk and sing and then still say, oh, I have no musical ability. <laughs> All right? But if I sing you this, you can sing it back to me. So what is so that? Yes, you do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, well, all I'm doing is imitating you. Well, right. There's a bunch of processes involved in doing that that you're not even aware of, and they're all taking care of themselves. I see. Right? And the, the studies, there's a fantastic book. The author's name is escaping me, but called This Is Your Brain on Music. I've read that. Okay. It's, a, it's not an easy read. I tell you the name of the artist, but you can look it up. It's, uh, it's not an easy read because it's, it's not. It's, it is, and it's very technical, but yeah. it's, it makes so much sense. And he talks about all the different sort of calculations that are involved even in singing happy birthday in a room full of people how is it that when someone goes ha everybody Everybody knows knows. what else is happening well that's actually a very sophisticated musical thing because you are recognizing the fifth of a scale and you know that you're going to come in with six five one seven five six five two one Mm -hmm. well i just classified it you didn't need for it to be classified to know how to sing it because it's that familiar. That's true. So what that means is your ear and your voice and your brain have all agreed on sort of spatially the difference between this note and this note and go back down and go up and come down a little. <laughs> right? Yeah. And um, on the melody idea, and I will give... Um, uh, all right, no, I'll back up to that. Um, but... You know, we talk about melody yeah. as purely being a linear thing in terms of rise and fall, mm-hmm. higher pitch notes and lower pitch notes. But there's also the temporal time aspect of when do things happen. <laughs> Going back to and that. If, have you ever heard stories about um, copyright infringement lawsuits? And I oh, think yeah. they were talking about this in the recent Ed Sheeran case. Yeah, Ed Sheeran. That just... in judging the similarities of the melody, they yeah. couldn't have the rhythm. They had to, and they couldn't listen to any of the singing. They had to listen to the tune, just like plink, 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 plink. Really? Because technically the rhythm is not part of the intellectual property. Ah. So they're saying that from a legal-minded perspective, imagine lawyers splitting hairs, um, <laughs> that there's a difference between rhythm. You can separate rhythm and melody. And I had someone tell me, and this person is ostensibly a musicologist, and so I'm just going to say I'm going to slam you very politely right now uh, because I don't even remember his name. And if you know when you hear this, fine. I wasn't going to say it to you then. But said to me, and we were talking about the similarity between two songs. He says, well, you know, rhythm is an abstraction. And my thought was, dude. Abstraction? You can't dance. (laughs) (laughs) If if rhythm is an abstraction to you, then I don't understand how you can breathe or walk or speak. Yeah. Because rhythm is just sounds occurring in time. Mm -hmm. Right? And so it doesn't have to be metronomic and even... For something to be rhythmic, that our speech is rhythmic. Oh yeah, right? oh absolutely. So and so, getting back to this this relationship between rhythm and and sensation, when we're singing, we feel it. You're expressing with the body. Right. When we're speaking, we're expressing with the body. So one of the challenges that people have, especially skilled singers who are learning to accompany themselves, if you've sung all your life and you're just very comfortable, you think something and out it comes. Now you pick up this box. 
and you're trying to negotiate moving your hands around with it and suddenly you're negotiating with this foreign object where you're used to music just coming out of your body right so what i am trying to teach people how to do as far as playing the guitar is to essentially expand you know because what do you do you wrap your arms around it right so i'm saying well okay i can feel here in my chest so I've got now this box sitting against my chest and my arms are out here. Well, I'm kind of bringing it to me. Well, I can feel it, mm-hmm. you know. And my wife said to me once, you know, I can always tell your students when they're performing because they dance with their guitars. Yeah, I've noticed that too. And I said, that's, yep. that's a really great compliment. Mm-hmm. But that's absolutely, I mean, like, I don't want to hold a guitar. I want to wear it. Yeah. So it moves when I move. Yeah. Right. Cool. And that all of that movement is tied in together. And the the big challenge when you are learning the coordination aspect of it is that now you have something singing mm-hmm. in which you had very little thought you had to give. And this is, you know, of course, recognizing how much one can learn about the mechanics of singing and good vocal technique. And I'm not saying that right. doesn't that's not out there. I'm, that's I'm, a whole nother show. Right. 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 I'm, yeah. I'm saying this is, you know, if, if you can hold a tune, if you can carry a tune, then you know, you, you know what it feels like to think of it singing, right? And so Mm -hmm. lots of songwriters can relate to that. So it's just coming out of your body intuitively. And now you're having to coordinate all of these movements and the whole system basically shuts down. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a trick. And and I have a really good friend who's an amazing songwriter. She's just absolutely incredible. But now she's trying to accompany herself and having to learn. She's got some good instructors mm-hmm. um <clears throat> but i could see that it's it, it was tough for her right you know and but she's starting to get it you know it's going to take time and practice mm-hmm. um but amazing she has an amazing voice and amazing talent and i know that she'll she'll pick it up and every time yeah. i see her she's a little bit better right and so what that says to me is that if you can develop one area you can develop the can. other yeah uh, but so getting back to the perpetual beginners and people showing up with the same issues yeah Uh, I think a lot of it is we put so much emphasis on the, first of all, the target practice aspect of landing my fingers in the right place and hitting the right string. Yep. And so your attention is all out here at your fingertips. Yeah. So as far as your brain is concerned, the rest of your body has disappeared (laughs) because it's not involved. Yeah. And this is just these two disembodied hands grasping in the darkness. And when, meanwhile, if you actually feel with your hands, in other words, when I touch the guitar, I have data that I am taking from that contact, right? I feel where the strings are. I feel the resistance, the tensions of the strings. When I strum, I am gauging my strum movement based on the way it responds, right? Mm -hmm. Does it snap back or is it looser and what kind of sound do I do I want to make, right? So you are literally feeling your way and that never stops, even when you're on autopilot. Because, you know, I I came up in in school playing classical music. So this is the notes are the notes. There is a right way and a wrong way, right? You played the wrong note. It's not like in popular music where, oh, it can go like this, it can go like that. Or jazz. (laughs) Or jazz. Well, then it can do any number of things. I'm playing jazz on everything, (laughs) but you know, you learn that even when the notes are all determined, number one, there's still a lot of flexibility in how you might articulate something. And so you learn a lot about the details of how to make something speak as opposed to just landing on the right notes or the right chord or the right chord. So you you definitely, Mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. So that to me puts your attention onto the musical side of it. Obviously, your you know classical conservatory student is already put in a good chunk of their 10,000 hours before they got there. Yeah. We know that. But the process, the process of just, I'm putting my hand here. What just happened? Yeah. You know, I mean, people don't even ask themselves, okay, that didn't work. Why didn't it work? Well, because I suck. <laughs> no. You know, but, but that's the answer. That's what everybody tells themselves. Well, I don't know. Maybe yeah, I'm do. not and cut they, out for yeah. this. Don't be like that. And then I'll say, have you looked at what your hand is doing? Look mm-hmm. in the mirror. Yeah. Okay. How far is your finger from that string? 
or how far is this finger, the note it's on right now, to the note it's about to go to? If you were to measure that, oh, that's maybe a centimeter. How much did you move? About a foot. Okay, can we <laughs> yeah. address that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? And, and, it's, and I can understand, it gets frustrating. I remember as a kid uh, learning bar chords, learning to play an F chord. Uh-huh. I remember getting so frustrated to tears, I'll never get an mm-hmm. F chord, yeah. you know? Um, today it's, you know, you don't even, you don't think about it, but you, it just, you just take time and you just keep doing it and you learn it. And a lot of it's muscle memory too. And I don't care if you're playing piano or if you're playing uh, guitar, That's all the same. It, yeah. it's, it's all the same. Um, so look, your golf swing is muscle memory too. Yeah, in terms absolutely. of, as far as the brain is concerned, all these things are related. Yeah, absolutely. And my swing needs some, <laughs> some work too. <laughs> Can't help me with that. Can you? Um, but no, let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, just a few things that I, from what you just said that, that popped into my mind. I see so many beginning guitar players uh, in, in singing their songs uh, and they feel they got to strum every string every time. Uh, yes, and yes, I'm like, yes. And I'm like, no, you don't. You know, nope. where's the melody? At? What, you know, and then you're talking about groove. You know, you could, you could get a groove just playing a couple, couple of those strings, you know. Right. And the other thing I've noticed, and these are things I'm sure you can elaborate on, um, they'll get a chord progression. And, and a lot of times with songwriters, it starts with that. They, this is a neat progression. Uh, and now there's a melody. And sometimes the melody, they're just singing the chord, you know, and they're not finding the melody that's behind that, you mm-hmm. know. Um, is that something you could teach? Well, yes. I mean, in the sense that there is really a finite number of combinations of note yeah, and chord exactly. um, that one is going to accept in the context of a pop slash country song. Right. right. Now, there's a lot of possibilities, but there are definitely norms that we like mm-hmm. in terms of how does the note you're singing relate to the chord that's under it? Is the note in the chord? Is it yes. not in the chord? <laughs> is the is it the chord? accented or not? But... Uh, certainly the first part, what you said about people getting up there and just hammering away with cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. Or actually, it's not that so much as ting-ting-ting-ting-ting-ting-ting-ting-ting-ting-ting. Yeah, that's It's true. that same. It's like drunk Jimmy Buffett um, <laughs> every time. Yeah. But see, that's muscle memory. Yeah. Muscle memory is more than just teaching your fingers to land in the right place. I think the other problem that plagues not just a perpetual beginner, but anyone that spent any time at all. I mean, you could have practiced something for a week and then come into your lesson and I want to tweak it. And you're like, dude, it's locked in. Mm. I, you know, you try to change it and yeah. your brain is already gone. Nah, it goes like that. Yeah. So one of the things one looks to develop, and this is part of the reason I think that kids pick this stuff up faster is that as a kid you have that greater neuroplasticity mm-hmm. where I think just hammering at it actually is more effective whereas as an adult I I, I don't think hammering away at this it's back to the definition of insanity right <laughs> same thing over and over again expecting different results whereas we hopefully as adults have better problem-solving skills and better observational skills and if you look at the mechanics and some people just this makes their brain bubble they don't even like the thought of it, and well, okay, that is what it is. But if you look at the mechanics of playing a guitar and say, this is a mechanism, the body, the hands, the arms, the way this works, mm-hmm. it has a logic and a system. It is mechanically sound. And so I'm trying to interface in playing the guitar, this machine with the guitar, which is also a machine that has its own logic and, and mechanics and physics. And so... Every mechanical problem has a mechanical solution, right? You're going to play something it's not working. Why isn't that bar chord working? Well, once someone has practiced that, especially for six months or a year, and they go, I've been squeezing and squeezing and squeezing and it still won't work. Well, now you've taught your body to squeeze. Whereas the single tip I can give you for anything where you feel like you're not squeezing hard enough is unless your guitar isn't set up right, like if the strings are just too high up or the strings are too thick or the guitar is too big for you, which is a whole other question, then all, you know, in, in an ideal situation, you're not squeezing the power. The thing that holds down the string is your finger leaning on the fretboard supported by the weight of your hand and arm because there's a lot more power in the mass of that bigger mechanism of the arm. And so you can just sit you know, on a note and you're just hanging there like a picture on a hook. <laughs> and then when you go to the next note, 
what you're really looking to do is to transfer that weight to the next finger. It's like dancing in the sense that every time a dancer's foot hits the floor, they've got to maintain their balance so they don't fall. And they need to be able to leverage the movement into whatever the next move is. And then everything else has to be coordinated. So there's only one point of contact at a time. Right. Or, okay, maybe two feet are on the floor at the same time. But you know yeah. you know what I'm saying. So there's right. an element of keeping the ball in the air. Yeah, juggling. Right? Yeah. And so when you're gripping and squeezing, you're actually compressing your hand. You are actively counteracting the thing you're trying to do. Yeah. So if that's in muscle memory, uh-huh. then you have to just sidestep it. And so this is why I love the idea of going back to sensation because the muscle memory is independent of that. The muscle memory is just your hand touches a string and the muscles go, I know what to do, and they clench. So I have people do things like just pick up a guitar and play a note. And I say, what does that feel like? And they're like, yeah, 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 guru shtick. Right, right, right. Be one with the guitar, yada, yada, yada. Help me play better. And I say, no, no, no. How does that feel? So my thumb is sitting on a string. I can feel the resistance of it. It's a wire at tension. How does it feel if I roll off the side of my thumb and rest on the next one? And I can feel, well, the string is round. So I'm kind of rolling across it. I'm not pushing it out of the way. Ping. I don't even want to do this on this nice new guitar that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, I'm not even plucking it. It's not a bow and arrow, mm. right? It's it's a cylinder, and I'm just rolling my thumb across this rounded surface. Well, all of a sudden, you don't feel like you have to hit the thing so hard. And then there's a sense of, oh, it's like sticking the landing, because when I roll onto that next string, it's it arrives. There is a satisfying, boom, there it is. You can feel it. Oh, there it is. So there's... So it becomes about feeling. And Mm -hmm. my sort of working hypothesis is that you take the 10-year-old kid that just falls in love with it and just dog with a bone, playing, 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 playing. And I was like this when I started at 14. What is the thing that makes them connect with it? And we can call it talent. We can say there's a gift there. Okay, great. But now we still, we're not learning anything from this. Right. My own experience, I think part of what made me take to the guitar was that I enjoyed the tactile experience of it. And it was yeah. it was also something that I could beat on in a socially acceptable way. You know, like I have all this energy that needs to go somewhere. Nah, 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 nah. Okay, now this is a much more productive place to put it than nah, 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 directed at my parents or my teachers or whatever else is going on. So there was an aspect of this feels good and my body likes this. I think that's part of what connected me with it. And I think that most young people that show an aptitude are physically comfortable with the instrument in a way that a lot of people aren't. I mean, I've seen people come in for a first lesson and they're sitting down with the the strings facing the wrong way and the neck backwards. (laughs) And they're like, I really don't know how to hold it. And they're kind of treating it like it's going to bite them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's out here or whatever the idea is. And some people just immediately, yeah, like they just get, it just feels good. And yeah. I mean, that's just, that's a predisposition one way or another. But the other thing is, I think talent in anything is a question of perceiving relationships. So talented athletes have a great sense of spatial relationships intuitively. And also the the sense of firing patterns in your body like i couldn't shoot a layup to save my life (laughs) because my brain just gets disoriented and so it was like the the fact that there is this series of actions that's supposed to be and to be fair no one is going to give you the chance in street ball to practice and get it right they're just going to run you off before anything else happens but like that's a specific movement that my body found really really hard to coordinate whereas strumming a guitar was very natural very well natural. why is that that's just wiring yeah you know and how you're wired so, yeah. yeah yeah so the the relationship <clears throat> in the in case of music the talented kid is able to perceive a relationship between if my finger is here and then it goes there it makes this sound and when i listen to that song i just heard that sound So when people play by ear, they're able to somehow perceive a sonic relationship and translate translate that to both the visual 
on the guitar neck and the, the tactile, the feel part of it. And this gotcha. goes on intuitively. Yeah. So can one learn how to do those things? Yeah, I think you can, but you have to get under the hood and look at the pieces. And we're going to do that in just a little bit. Let me take a break. Dave, uh, Dave Isaac is our guest. Notice the uh, Nashville uh, guitar guru, and he's got a beautiful guitar over there. We're going to pick it up, and we're going to give you some tips on, uh, on how your instrument can help you write. Don't go away. You're listening to the Songwriter Connection, connecting with music makers and hearing their songs and stories. Now back to the show with your host, Dave Linehan. Dave Isaacs is our guest. Dave, that is a beautiful Martin guitar. I've never seen, I love Martin guitars. I play Martin, but I've never seen one like that. Tell us about this special guitar. Well, this is my first Martin, I have to say. Mm. And this is a CEO model. CEO. And I believe that the, the CEO... The eponymous is C.F. Martin IV, I ah, think, ah. is who's running the company now. And he's got some interesting ideas for a tradition-based legacy family brand like Martin. Um, so they've put out some different models. And, you know, you may have heard about some of the issues around the world with importing hardwoods. Yeah. That, like, Gibson got in a bunch of trouble because Gosh. they didn't go through the right processes. And yeah. so certain woods are becoming harder and harder to find. So... You asked me about the uh, the sunburst on this. Yes, it's kind of a tobacco sunburst. What it is it? a mango sunburst. Mango sunburst. And that's what it's made of. No The wood kidding. is figured mango. Oh, uh, I can't Which just, it. I mean, I'm sorry, mango sunburst just sounds like a fruity drink. It does. Right? <laughs> so, a little rum in there, we're fine. I had the opportunity to play this guitar or this model last summer. I had written and published a set of solo guitar pieces and this is kind of going in with my perpetual beginner journey on my my own which is that you know i told you i'd studied classical guitar i pretty much gave it up after college for a variety of reasons um partly because i think you have to live in that world 100 <laughs> percent to really succeed in it and then i sure. Yeah. I, I can't sit on a quiet stage and glare at the audience for rustling cough drops I, <laughs> you've seen me on stage i i, I can't be that contained yeah um but when the pandemic started and I'm home with time to practice and I said, you know, I want to revisit all of this. And so I went back to my freshman year repertoire and I spent a couple of years and I mean taking tiny little baby steps like I could handle about five minutes before my brain started to bubble. Mm. So a couple of years worth of work and I was able to play through like my freshman year recital. And in the process, I wrote a bunch of little tunes for sort of teaching myself to get my picking hand working in that more advanced way again and published a couple of sets of these. Uh, so the one that came out last year was called Songs Without Words. Mm. And so I reached out to my friends at Indo Nashville um, who host the Martin Guitars Showcase Room. And that is because the Richland Group that owns the building is Martin's publicist. And do their their stuff here in town, uh, reps Martin, and so they have this beautiful showcase room that you have to apply for entry into. You can't just walk in there. <laughs> wow. And I wanted to record video of a bunch of these solo pieces on some really nice guitars in a nice looking room. So I, I approached them and approached Martin and said, "Can we do this?" And they gave me permission. So I spent a day recording and bunch of instruments they had in there but i kept going back to two models one was the eric clapton model triple o which is this gorgeous sort of brash throaty bluesy guitar and the other was the ceo9 which is this sweet uh just really oh. comfortable small body it's Give a double a taste, o man. i mean it's taste, just man. this oh beautiful what i love about a martin is how well balanced they are so every note just speaks so clearly. Oh, yeah. Play us one of those uh, pieces.
That is beautiful. What do you call that? Uh, well, that's it. Doesn't have a title. That's that's from a set of. Here's here's me being a little grandiose, okay? <laughs> because in my classical guitarist days, I always wanted to be a composer. I wanted to have my name composer. on one of those little books of music. You know, yeah. you open it up, and um, so since these were written as teaching pieces, because I was teaching myself, mm-hmm. there was a set of etudes exercises or studies and there was a set of preludes and this is sort of a tradition in classical music and particularly classical guitar um composers would write student music and you would be five etudes 12 preludes whatever it is and you have this all through classical music so this was my sort of grandiose notion of i'm going to put these books out but i did them with um one had original artwork um by krista schoenbrot that did my uh, my book cover um, the other had uh, a bunch of photographs by um, my friend Lynn Stevens, great photographer around town, who's actually got photographs up at the Geodis Park right oh, now as part of the, uh, the, other day. Mm-hmm. the, I think they're like 19 Nashville artists that they're displaying wow. work from over there at the soccer stadium. Wow. But uh, so put these out as, as little books um, with, you know, little artistic things and you know, they're they're out there. I sold a handful of them, but it was really like, I've just always wanted to do this. That's cool. And then I put those out and went, okay, Nashville is going to think I've lost my mind. or <laughs> gone down some, some like overly erudite rabbit hole and I'm putting out things called like Prelude 2 in G Major. <laughs> and all right, Dave, where's... <laughs> yeah, I got you. Bring it back to earth, Bring dude. it back to earth, right. <laughs> so I'll tell you, uh, it is gorgeous. And I just flashed back there to... Uh, Spinal Tap. When I asked you, what do you call that? Right. Oh, uh, right, 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 right. Yes, exactly. This, this right here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, let's help us be better songwriters. Um, what can you tell us about about that instrument and maybe Cordell's progressions, whatever, um, that's going to make us a better songwriter? Okay. What, what do you think? I, I think the first, and I mean, this is, again, my opinion is only worth what I know about music in terms of the the songwriting landscape and the the current music industry and all of that. Well, okay, I'm just going to sound like an old guy um, when I say I tend to agree. Old guys rule, Dave. Well, I just I tend to agree with Rick Beato, another old guy. I love Rick that, that Beato. We are in the era of low information music. Oh, interesting concept. Which means so you talk about chord progressions. Um, if you were to sit down and listen to the top 40, uh-huh. I think it's a fairly safe bet to say easily half, if not more, of those songs have the same basic chord structure. Yeah. And that many of those never change that chord structure. One, if four, the song five. goes, or once, yeah. one, five, six, four. Okay. You know the one yeah. I mean. It's the yeah. wagon wheel progression. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Which is, which is also... Um, I don't even know how many. It is the most common progression in pop music. It really is. Right now. It, it is. And and has been for many if, years. If you could demonstrate that, okay? Yes. Yeah. Um, one. So we're in G. That's your one chord. D. E minor. And that's how you play wagon. Six minor. But it's awesome. So many chords. Song. Oh yeah. I mean, again and again and again and again to the point where now you know in some genres like blues songs tend to have a basic chord structure. Mm-hmm. Traditional country songs tend to have a basic chord structure. I mean, that's okay. That's if I'm going to be all, you know, fancy New York City degree musicologist guy, then I'm going to say, well, that's vernacular, mm-hmm. right? Which it is. <laughs> it's just this is the way we talk to each other. But is it possible that having, even in one spot, like what Gretchen Peters called, a money cord. She's brilliant. She's like, that. I like to have one money cord. But we we did, you know, Steve Dean was here and did a recent interview here, and and he talked about the money cord mm-hmm. in the song. Uh, specifically, the song was "I've Been Watching You, Dad. Mm-hmm. I've Been Watching You." Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a chord in there, and you know, I I can't remember what it was, but it, it was so unexpected. Yeah, and, and it just grabs the ear, right? It and, does. Uh-huh. I mean, so my theory is that 
we can tune into a melody note, we can tune into a rhythm figure, we can tune into a chord. Even people that aren't musically educated, they are perceiving, and mm-hmm. there are different degrees of this. Right. Right. And, and this also has to do with predisposition, talent, whatever you want to call it. Um, you can know nothing intellectually about music and still be very sophisticated in your understanding of what you're hearing. In the sense, you know that, that is so true. Yeah. Because and you talked a lot about you know um, sometimes it's a good thing to not know. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> and, and you watch uh, maybe someone's not really uh, versed in the theory, and you go, "Well, they hit that chord there," and you wouldn't think that doesn't even seem to fit that key, right? But they don't know that. Right. And, you know, it sounds okay. Right. And, you know, uh, so sometimes, you know, ignorance is bliss. Well, and I mean, George Martin, who recorded and produced the Beatles, right. said that he believed part of the reason that, that collaboration was as successful as it was is that you had street smart talent mm-hmm. working with formal education and then negotiating between them how it was going to go. Yeah. So they brought in the left field ideas. But the thing is, what George Martin was bringing to the table, and this is answering your question about being better songwriters, mm-hmm. I think it's not so much that you have to learn new chords because, you know, a 50 cent chord, mm. it might get you 49 cents change. It might not, <laughs> right? And it might just be completely wrong, yeah. you know? But at the same time, what I think you want to understand is song structure. Okay. Because in classical music, a chord progression tells a story. Mm-hmm. Right? So if I play something like this, and this is not classical, this is just, but it's a, a chord progression with some movement. Yeah. You don't have to know anything about music. If I said, am I done? No one would say yes. <laughs> Everyone perceives the hanging nature of that. And some of that is because of the chord I played, and some Comma. of it is because That's of how critical. I placed it rhythmically. Wow. Right? So you figure there's these different aspects of music, melody, harmony, rhythm. Melody, I harmony, think the rhythm. average listener, as long as you tickle their ear with one of those things every so often. Melody, harmony, rhythm. And I mean, it can be a lyrical thing. Right, but it's also what is what is framing that lyric? Mm-hmm. How are we phrasing it? You know, what made Frank Sinatra the great singer of his, the definitive great singer of his generation, and really the defining? And with all respect to Tony Bennett, who is yeah, the yeah. one who carried the, mm. the legacy, and by far a better singer. Oh yeah, as a vocalist. But Sinatra, if you've ever tried to sing those songs. Sinatra was very specific about his phrasing and his diction and how he articulated everything. And I read that he planned that out before he walked into a recording studio. He knew where he was putting every syllable. Mm. And that was a choice. And, you know, that can be Laurence Olivier reading Hamlet, too. (laughs) It's the delivery matters. Yeah. Right. So the just coming up with the line is one thing. But how you put it across. And so in the writer's room, it's not necessarily about the performance. It's just what what makes this really speak. It's cool you say that because so many times I flash into the, to the writer's room and the line it seems so cool, but I got to how does that sing? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can you whoever's driving at the time, I mean driving they're playing, mm-hmm. you know. <clears throat> just tell me how that sings. It, it's a cool line. Sing it one time for me. Well, and then the other yeah. thing is when you develop some flexibility you find all kinds of ways that you can make a line that maybe didn't seem to fit, fit. And that's true, too. And that's like one technique that works a whole lot is to just displace it rhythmically, right? So there's Mm. my fancy erudite. Displace it rhythmically. So what that means is if you're starting on the one, we'll start before. Start. Yeah, you can jump it. Before the one. Yeah. Or start and then wait. Yeah. You know, like. And at the end, too, sometimes. Yes. You know, you'll push or whatever. Exactly. And like sometimes. We're so used to, you know, we have so much faith in the gift, the channel, opening the, you know, <laughs> yeah, grant me a song today, oh, songwriting gods, right? <laughs> yes. And, you know, I am a great believer in the wisdom of intuition. And, you know, I've seen a first draft be the best one a thousand times, mm-hmm. you know, but at the same time, I like to question every decision. 
And I think when someone writes a song and spit out the melody, here's how it goes. Well, okay, how much time have you spent singing that? Well, it's just, but that's just how it goes. Well, if you give that to an artist, maybe some of them are just going to sing it the way they heard it, but I don't think they're going to do that. I think most of them are going to do what Sinatra did and say, how does this sing? How does this flow? Do those choices count as part of the intellectual property according to how our system works no but do they define how Mm -hmm. the song is perceived yes they do so my whole point is you don't have to be the artist you don't need the performance skills to at least be able to say I'm going to question my musical choices and maybe my first instinct was the right one but maybe it wasn't yeah you know, but Dave, you you can you can overthink things, right? Of course, don't you, don't you think? Yeah. It's a rabbit hole, yeah. And, and I and I've seen so many writers that will put themselves in that box and can't get out. And, and nothing I do is is good enough. And I and, and those kind of folks, I say, listen, you know, um, give yourself a break for one. Yes, <laughs> you know, um, understand that it's going to get better. You know. Uh, but let yourself breathe a little bit, you know. Yeah. I mean, you you can get overly critical. Well, and and not, and not even so much overly critical. Paralysis. You can go down a rabbit hole with so many possibilities that you don't that you end up not liking any of them. Right. But what I find, I mean, myself, if I sit down in a co-write with somebody and we work on a song, and thank God to my most of my co-writers, people who work with me know what they're dealing with, mm-hmm. so they're not going to say don't change anything <laughs> because. I don't know if I even like it yet. I'm okay with it at this moment. And I have drafts upon drafts upon drafts of just singing things through. And honestly, the song might go through three iterations musically before I arrive Mm. back where we started. I guess. Because you don't know how far too far is until you've pushed it too Ah, far. But then, you know, editing is always more about trimming back than it is about adding. Mm, it sure is. So, Absolutely. It's a fine line. But, I mean, I, and I'll just kind of wrap on that thought by saying, I think some people shy away from learning more because they're afraid they're going to be either limited by, well, I learned the right choices, so I'm not going to make the intuitive wrong ones. Mm. One of my students told me, a songwriter told him, I don't want to know about any of that theory. i got to stay pure. <laughs> and I thought... I'm glad that your connection to your divine muse is so pure that it's never, eh. Yeah. It's just always. And you know, you were talking about the Beatles earlier. These these guys were kids. They were kids and they were coming up with some of these. If, if If you study them and you go back and you learn some of those old Beatles songs, those progressions were brilliant, some of them. But here's the thing. They were conscious. They were not just spitting out whatever. Uh They were always trying to top the last song. Yeah, they were. They were trying to find interesting ways. Because, I mean, Paul McCartney, I mean, with. When I look back now, I mean, I think McCartney was the genius. I think that John was the leader, the personality, the edge. I mean, and you can go into all of this. Everyone has their opinions, yeah. right? And when George Harrison passed away, I realized that most of my favorite Beatles songs were his because of <laughs> his chordal sense yeah. and the way that he put chords together. But even, I mean, how brilliant is Michelle Mabel? Amazing. Like, melody. why would you go? And yes, melody, but. But why start with a major chord? It doesn't even fit. I mean, if if we're going by knowing the rules, then right. the song is actually an F, technically, but D minor. Really, most of the chords it starts with a D, major. a G minor, a C, B flat, A. So if you take out that D major, everything else is. It's a 90s grunge song, right? <laughs> but the fact that they chose to change that first chord to a major, instead of going, Michelle, Mabel, which does make it sound like a French torch song, and I can hear the accordion, mm-hmm. right? But Michelle, right, Ma, it's like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. But then it goes right back to the to minor. minor. Yeah. So that, no that's, one, that's very interesting. No yeah. one told them they can't do that. Uh-huh. But what that actually is, is not ignorance. It's, to me, a more sophisticated understanding which is recognizing you are listening to the story that the chord sequence tells. Mm-hmm. And there is also the flavor, atmosphere, color, 
quality of each individual chord and that all of those things are variables. Absolutely. And that the, you know, you perceive the overriding key, right? That's how you have a sense of what's home, mm-hmm. you know? So that's back to, am I finished? That root, yeah. Right. Yeah. So if yeah. I do this... Definitely not finished until... It's just a comma. So the fact, right, this is a period. Yeah. <laughs> right? So how about, you know, two chord honky tonk song? Comma. Dun, 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 dee, da, 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 period. <laughs> Open the door. Take a look outside. I borrowed this from something. And now we're going back home. That's right, so we cool. we perceive that and we understand that intuitively. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is that's going on, and while that's going on, there's also the individual flavor of that chord. So maybe if you throw in a chord that doesn't seem like it should fit, you don't know if you don't know the theory whether the note you just changed is going to make that chord not fit. It might still fit. Because the overriding story of walk out the door, turn around, come back home is um, <laughs> is still kind of carrying your ear. It is. Right? Yeah. So, like, there's all of these variables. So people say, well, I don't want to understand the theory or there's too much to understand. Um, to me, theory is a way to take the elements of music, break them up, and put them in my my tool drawers over here uh, on the side of the exactly shop. That's exactly right. So yep. I can Tools. open up this drawer and mm-hmm. know what I'm pulling out. So I don't have to count on whether my connection with my divine inspiration is quite so inspired that day. It's part of the craft. It is. Because, I mean, we're not all writing great songs all the time. But every good writer will tell you that craft will allow you to take an okay idea and write a good song. And that's what we're about here, the craft. Mm-hmm. Songwriters, what's in your toolbox? And hopefully yeah. we've given you a little bit more to put in that toolbox today. That was the uh, idea of this show anyway. Now, you talked about structure, and I want to just hit on that before we leave. Uh, various different structures in songs. Um, you know, sometimes <clears throat> when we're writing and we're very early into an idea and we're um, discussing it and, and where we want to go, uh, we come up with kind of a skeleton. We think it's going to be this, you know, uh, and, and eventually it builds and becomes the structure. It could be, we've talked about things like A, B, A, right. B, uh, first chorus, verse, uh, chorus, yeah. bridge, chorus. Does it need a bridge? <laughs> does it need a bridge? Yeah. Well, how do you determine does it need a bridge? Right. Things like that. So uh, structure, if you can just uh, uh, step us through that real quick before you go, and uh, hopefully this will help. Well, I'm going to go back to um, Jason Bloom's idea about the structure being the package you deliver your idea in. And it's in every type of music. I mean, even, you know, I mentioned Sinatra, and we're talking about jazz and the great American songbook and these songs that have lots more chords than your average pop song. Right. There is still a formula there, a basic way in which things unfold. And... There's room within that to have all these variations. The songs are not the same, but they share certain things. And, you know, this is part of why, I mean, again, my theory and my opinions for whatever they're worth, but, like, jazz has gotten away from what it started as, partly because in the early days when musicians were abstracting, when John Coltrane was playing My Favorite Things, everybody knew the original, so they're listening to more than just what he's doing. That's they're listening amazing, to the difference the between I what he did oh, and how he took it into a different thing. Which, by the way, I found yeah. yesterday on YouTube, <laughs> I found something called Jazz Sabbath, which is a piano trio, piano bass drums, playing jazz arrangements of Black Sabbath Black songs. Sabbath. It's fantastic. It's so Gotta good. Gotta find that. That's it's interesting. It's so good. Yeah. But, I mean, so structure in the sense that, yes, you probably, and I'll go back and refer to the Tom Petty thing, don't bore us, get to the chorus. We Was know that Tom in, Petty? Is that, yeah. Really? I always wondered who... Yeah. Who oh, I love that. it. I love it. And Petty, get to the chorus. I mean, brilliant. It's one yeah. of the greatest, I mean, like for... And I mean, he also, mind you, he was the guy that when I picked up a guitar at 14 and I said, what does a rock star look like? That's the guy. That guy. That's right? the guy. Yep. So the structure is important in the, the language of the song you're trying to write. Because if you are writing a torch song 
for Diana Krall to sing, mm. right? Um, then you are not going to have the chorus show up in the same way that when you're writing something to pitch on Music Row for a mainstream country artist, right? So that's part of the understanding. What kind of song are we writing and what's the expectation here? But it's more than that. It's more than memorizing structures. It's about being able to take a simple two bars plus two bars, two bars plus two bars, and say, well, maybe there's other ways we can do this here. Or one of the things I've observed, I did a lot of work um, years ago for a while when I was renting my office from a producer, and she would bring me in to do pre-production with her clients. And these are songwriters coming in from out of town, some more experienced than others, and sometimes the songs just needed to be charted and that was that. But other times you needed to get out the shoehorn and figure out, well, you know, these lines don't line up right and people don't understand meter, and that's part of the structure. Mm -hmm. Going back to what you first started talking about. But then it's saying, well, so do I count the syllables? No, don't count the syllables. Learn about symmetry and asymmetry and what works and what doesn't. You know, so getting back to Paul McCartney, did you ever notice that yesterday has only seven bars? which should sound incomplete, and yet it doesn't. And why is that? It's because of the way that he grouped the notes, right? So first statement. Next statement. Yeah. Next statement answers the second statement. Beautiful. Last statement. So it's uneven, and it works because he's just sort of leading your ear. Here's this little piece. Here's a new little piece. Now I'm quoting that. I'm echoing that piece you just heard, which is making the whole thing uneven. But because it sounds so good, you don't notice. Right. right. And that's your classic A, B, A. It, you get it your a, is, except and that then it's, the B part. But it's not symmetrical. Okay. Right? So, I mean, yes, A, B, A is a three-part thing. But I'm saying even within that, usually your phrases or your lines are two bars, two bars, or four bars, four bars. Yeah. Right? And our brains like symmetry. Our music they tends do. to be pretty symmetrical. Everything yep. is in twos and threes. Yep. But that's not the only way to look at things. True. And so it's just... But, you know, the other yeah. the other lesson in that song, too, I think, is melody. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> because, Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of a lot of writers are... Let's talk about the idea. And I think idea is important. But, I mean, let's not forget that song was melody. And, in fact, it was scrambled eggs. Time, yes, right? that's what I remember that. You're just singing, you know, scrambled eggs. But let's, know. let's also... But, yeah, yeah, go ahead. But then eventually, you know, mm-hmm. came up with lyrics that fit that melody. So it's done in a few different ways. Sure. Isn't it? There's- Absolutely. And I mean, I, I am amazed by people who write a melody and fit lyrics to it. I mean, Billy Joel supposedly oh, writes that. that way. And oh. I mean, he writes like a symphonic composer, and then he comes oh, yeah. up with lyrics that Amazing. brilliantly fit. Like, how the heck does he even do that? Absolutely. Hey, and by the way, uh, let me plug another podcast, The Opus, by the way, on the Consequence Podcast Network. Uh, they did a whole uh, series on uh, the Stranger album. Oh, God, uh, from yes. Billy Joel, and it's amazing. Oh, Check it out. You know what just popped into my head that yeah. you say that? Slow down, you crazy child. You're so ambitious for a juvenile, but yes. if you were so smart, tell me why are you still so. I mean, the way that thing unfolds. Oh, yeah. Oh, brilliant. It, it is, it's so brilliant. It's, it's, it really is. And then you talk about people like, uh, how about uh, Elton John? He would mm-hmm. take the lyric yeah. you know, from Bertie Top. I find that easier. You find that easy? I do, because I am using the lyrics to give me an idea of the rhythm, because mm-hmm. I'm starting with the the speech pattern mm-hmm. in the lyric, and that tells me how to sing it. Gotcha. And granted, I grew up listening and to And I know writers yeah. like that. Yeah. They'll, they will not pick up an instrument until they got that lyric perfect. Yeah. Know? Or, I mean, and that works for me in a lot of ways, because that provides the structure. Mm-hmm. You've already kind of figured out the structure of the poem, and now you're putting the musical structure to it. Now, mind you, I grew up listening to Led Zeppelin and Genesis and <laughs> bands where the lyrics, if they meant yeah, anything, me maybe, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. it didn't fit yeah, yeah, at yeah. all. That's Which yeah. tells you something else, though, yeah. that people respond to all different kinds of things. And maybe there is the norm of the easiest thing to react to is a simple melody and a relatable story and a sing-along chorus. That's, that's not hard when you hit all those marks it's probably going to be easy to listen to, mm-hmm. right? Gotcha. But there's still all these different ways. And I find it fascinating how every so often in the music industry, somebody comes along and does something just a little different, and it turns everything on its head, and now everybody's imitating that. Yeah, and that's something. And it does. Yeah. It happens again and again and again yeah. in the musical world. That's what I always tell folks. Bring, 
Be your own genre. Do your well, thing. Do you. You be you. There's not another you. You know, and we look at people like one of your students, Olivia Francis, who's Olivia been on the podcast. Is, is absolutely her being, brand of sunshine story pop. She is being herself. She really unabashedly is. and, and all, all. I don't all know if I know anyone that has more fun being themselves. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> She's a great. Example. We love you, Olivia. Yes, we do, girl. Yes, we do. Hey, hopefully we've 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 covered a lot. I know there's a lot, and you might want to listen to this podcast a few times. There are things that that you can pick up. I learn every time I sit down and talk with you, Dave. It's just always a, a pleasure, Dave Isaac. Uh, by the way, you can find uh, Dave uh, NashvilleGuitarGuru.com. dot com. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a great website. There's blogs on there, uh, and there's lessons. There I have lessons all kinds in, of free content out you there. You do, yeah. don't you? Yeah. So I, I encourage you to find uh, Nashville Guru, uh, NashvilleGuitarGuru.com. dot com. Dave Isaac's our guest today. Anything you want to imparting? Um, impart. I want to I, me. I want to say just keep on writing, folks. Just keep on writing, right? And getting it out there. I'm going to say this: if someone says to you, or, or if you are inclined to say to someone, "Oh, I'm just a lyricist. I'm not a musician." Good then you point. Be- then you better not have any opinions or input on the melody. <laughs> Because if you have an idea of how it should sound, like if you can give me a lyric and I sing you something and you say to me, that's not it, Mm -hmm. then I would encourage you to actually learn how to articulate what it is because that means you have musical ideas and you might not even know it. I bet you you do. If you play the guitar for yourself at a writer's round and you say, well, I don't really play the guitar. I just accompany myself. And I don't ever want to be good. You know, people walk into my studio and say, I don't need to be good. I don't need to do anything fancy. So neither did John Lee Hooker. <laughs> neither did Guy Clark. No. You know, neither did John Lennon. I mean, any really? number of, of people, neither did Taylor Swift. <laughs> right. You just have to be able to use it to do something. And yeah. and I will kind of wrap this up by saying, kind of getting back to something I said to you earlier, that I can't always do the things I want to do as well as I want to do them. And that might be something simple just because I've got an idea of what the perfect iteration of it is. And I know what I want and I haven't gotten it yet. So I'm just going to keep working on this. And so people say, yeah, I can play the song. And I would say, well, okay. Is there anything about this you could elevate? And if you're always looking for that in your, your, your musical explorations... Can I learn something new today? Can I try a chord I never used? Can I take a song I usually perform and I know that this spot is always a little thorny. Is there something I can figure out how to do this better? It's a problem solver's Mm -hmm. mindset. And I would say that the average writer is doing this in the writing room all the time, only talking about the lyric. Mm -hmm. And they're not applying that problem solving mindset to phrasing to chords, to performance. Don't be afraid to try things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's color. You know, find a little color chord. Maybe it's a seventh chord. I don't know. Or don't be afraid that not knowing what you're doing means that your opinion isn't valuable. Exactly right. Exactly right. All good things. Dave Isaacs, the Nashville guitar guru, our guest today on the Songwriter Connection. Dave, thank you so much. We're going to do this from time to time. I think I love it. Valuable stuff. I'm happy to be here anytime. All right, my friend. Catch you next time, next week on the Songwriter Connection. Thank you for listening to the Songwriter Connection podcast. Find us on social media at Songwriter Connection. Also, listen to Dave Lanahan's Nashville Connections radio show. It streams live every Friday morning on WOBL and WNOI. Look for us on Facebook and YouTube. See you next time on Songwriter Connection.